Men, thanks for listening to our 920 Man Challenge podcast. These are Bible teachings that are meant to be discussed alongside other men in community at our Blankenbaker Man Challenge gathering, where we prioritize developing a competent and confident understanding of who Jesus is and authentic and intentional male relationships. We hope this teaching of God's Word grows your relationship with the Lord, and we urge you to unpack it in your relationship with others. Enjoy! My wife, Tish, took me recently to see my favorite comedian, Brian Regan. Uh, He's a clean comedian. I just love hearing this dude. And in the midst of him talking, he talked about uh, how he suffers from OCD. And if you've ever heard this guy, you know he just has a humorous way of talking about life. And he talked about suffering from OCD. And he said, you know, he goes, suffering seems like an inappropriate use of the term when compared to the guy who's laying on the sidewalk suffering from a bullet to the chest. He said, it would just seem odd for me to go up to that dude and be like, dude, I know what you're going through. I suffer from OCD. You know, he was talking about, man, it just, it just seems weird. And in light of suffering with purpose this morning, suffering is an interesting word because it's really a relative term. When you think about it, it's if we're not careful, we can develop a uh, two attitudes when it comes to hearing about suffering. We can either develop a you me attitude that leads to uh, arrogance and superior thinking. You know, hearing somebody that to you sounds like they're talking about suffering from a hangnail. And it's easy to be like, that ain't nothing. And to compare their suffering to ours. But then there's also the other end of the spectrum where we can have a a me-you approach to suffering that can lead to shame or guilt. If you were here last weekend, uh, Matt Reagan brought out some lady, I didn't even catch her name, but she's a missionary doctor over in Africa. And she starts telling about how years ago, she was essentially kidnapped, uh, abducted for three or four days, and had horrific things done to her by these savage men, physically and sexually. And I remember sitting there hearing her thinking, man, what would I ever have to, you know, categorize as suffering compared to that? So it can be a me-you deal, and neither one Uh, are God-honoring typically, but Webster defines suffering as this. He says, the state of undergoing pain, distress, or hardship, pain that is caused by injury, illness, or loss, and is categorized in the forms of physical, mental, or emotional. Synonyms to suffering are adversity, anguish, difficulty, discomfort, hardship, misery, torment, torture, affliction, and distress. Webster defines purpose as the reason for which something is done or created or for which something exists. Synonyms for, for purpose are determination, direction, goal, mission, plan, reason, target, big idea, whole idea. And so I want us to marry these two words in the context of our theme today, suffering with purpose. Because what Paul is about to talk about here in just a moment, is the state of undergoing pain, 
misery, distress, or hardship while undergoing, understanding the reason something exists in order to keep determination, mission, and the goal in mind while going through it, while experiencing something. You know, Paul is one of these guys that I can easily fall into that me, you type of attitude. Here's what I mean. In 2 Corinthians 11, 23 to 26, this dude Paul, also known as the Apostle Paul, he said this. He said, I have been in prison more often. I have suffered terrible beatings. Again and again, I almost died. Five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and day in the open sea. I've been constantly on the move. I have been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my fellow Jews, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, and in danger in the country, in danger at sea, in danger from false believers. So clearly, I think we could agree that when Paul starts talking about suffering, he knows what he's talking about. In this week's passage, we're focusing on suffering with purpose. Uh, Philippians chapter 1, verses 12 to 21. If you have your Bible or Bible app, you can follow along. I'm going to be talking through the NIV. But Paul is writing this from prison. It's easy for us to forget context of words that have been spoken from a guy like Paul. But he is in prison, and, and it's important to clarify, not present-day U.S type prison conditions where you have three hot meals a day, where you get to shower regularly, where you have a bed and access to exercise and even earning a degree and reading books. Not that kind of conditions. Prison back in Paul's day were, were pretty much inhumane. I mean, to get into the detail, I mean, it's just, just inhumane. But in the midst of being in prison that everyone could agree on this, the same definition of suffering, Paul pins these words. Starting in verse 12, he says, Now I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel or to spread the good news. As a result, it has become clear or known throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. The ESV version says my imprisonment is for Christ. Because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel more courageously and fearlessly. I want us to jump down four verses to verse 18. He says, the important thing is that in every way, chains and all, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. Yes, and I will continue to rejoice. For I know that through your prayers and God's provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. The message paraphrases it this way. It says, my imprisonment here has had the opposite of its intended effect by the enemy instead of being squelched the message has actually prospered and everything happening to me in this jail only serves to make Christ more accurately known talking about suffering can be a risky thing to do 
because several things can happen. You can be misunderstood. You can be perceived as complaining or sounding like, woe is me. You can be misinterpreted as sounding like you're wanting people to feel sorry for you and pity you. You can sound like you're playing the victim card. You can be seen as simply trying to get attention. You can be perceived as not being a real man, as, as being weak sauce. It's risky because it requires humility, and humility oftentimes makes us extremely vulnerable. In October 2017, I signed up for four triathlons for 2018. Uh, apparently, I'm still trying to prove my manhood. And the biggest and most difficult of these triathlons happened in Delaware, Ohio on July 29th of this past summer. It was called a half Ironman, a 70.3 Ironman. And it's funny, you throw half in front of something, it's like, oh, it's just a half. It's still. 70.3 miles, including a 1.2-mile swim in open water, a 56-mile bike ride, and a cool-down 13.1-mile run, all in concession to one another. And during one of my long bike rides leading up to that, training for that, I was listening to a podcast from some triathlon uh, elite uh, champion, and he said this, and you might want to write this down because it has lots of transferable um, truths that are helpful uh, regarding our perspective. He said this, he said, that he was talking about triathlon, but he said the purpose of training is not to eliminate pain and suffering. He said the purpose of training is to learn how to endure it. And I thought, man, that is a good word in lots of ways. Because I had been really going at my training thinking, man, if I, if I push it every session, Race day is going to be fun. It's going to be rainbows and butterflies. And his truth was really helpful in retooling that perspective. <clears throat> Sunday, July 29th, rolled around. And I mean, I am ready to crush it. I mean, I'm basically waking up going, if sponsors are not waiting at the finish line for me, I'm going to be ticked off, right? I mean, I was just ready. 1.2 mile swim, check. Five minutes faster than what I had trained for. Transition from swim to bike, check. 56-mile bike, check. Transition from bike to run, pause. I had to go to the bathroom the last 10 miles of that bike ride like nobody's business. But I had eyeballed that there was a porta potty right at the transition area. I get to that transition area and Iron Man had in an evil way put this big fence to keep spectators out, which kept me out as well. Get frantic, but I did make it to the restroom for full clarity. Barely made it, but I did make it. 13.1 mile run, rough. Less than a half mile into this run, which I knew it was gonna be hard because it's at the end. Less than a half mile into this, I had a thought, man, I got to throw up. And before the thought had finished, I threw up everywhere, everything that was in my system. For clarity, my goal was to leave it all out on the course. <laughs> had a different definition going into that race. I get about another quarter of a mile jogging, and I'm like, oh, crap, I got to go to the bathroom again. We're downtown Delaware in residential 
housing section with fans lining the streets. I found a spot. I run another quarter of a mile, and I'm like, I gotta go to the bathroom again. I run just a little bit further, and I'm like, are you stinking kidding me? I gotta go to the bathroom again. So I'm not real good at math, but if you're keeping track here, the first two miles of my run at the end of all this, I've gone to the bathroom four times, sitting, not standing, just throw them in here, and I've thrown my guts out, and I still have 11 miles left to run. So I run, uh, and I remember during that, I had so many thoughts bombarding my brain during that last 11 miles. Had thoughts like, dude, who cares? Just quit. You still have chores when you get home. I had thoughts like, what is wrong with you? You paid $300 to experience this nonsense. (laughs) I had thoughts like, man, you're not a real man. Because if you were, you could just just suck it up, dig deep, and keep running fast. The run was brutal, but I did finish. One thing I failed to mention as part of that story when I signed up for all those triathlons last October was, is that mental health runs in my family history. And I've suffered from depression and anxiety ever since high school. So for the past 25 plus years, I've had somewhat consistent bouts here and there, but typically they last anywhere. They've lasted from a couple days to a couple weeks. And whether right or wrong, I've just always had the attitude that, dude, just fight through it. Just keep moving forward. Fake it till you make it. And whether that's a good idea or bad idea, I would argue it's a bad idea, but it seemingly has worked for me the past 25 plus years, off and on. Well, last October 2017, I started experiencing depression and anxiety on a new level, and here's what I mean. Emotionally speaking, I consistently started feeling like, man, if they knew how clueless I was around here, they would take back, take away my staff ID badge. I started having feelings and emotions consistently, started feeling like I stink at being a husband and that I stink at being a dad. I even started having feelings like, man, I. I don't know how to be a good friend anymore. And I don't share this with false humility, meaning I know that God has wired me and has granted me multiple gifting here on this side of the grave. And I also know that emotions are not reliable. But that's how I felt, and I could not get past it. The feelings were not going away. They were not changing consistently. And I also was experiencing almost inexplainable extreme fatigue. I'm talking about getting eight hours of sleep at night and still waking up feeling like I've got a 30-pound weight on my head to where I just wanted to close my eyes. The problem was I was still a husband, I was still a dad, and I still had responsibilities here. And I thought training for this triathlon stuff would would be helpful as, as it could take my mind off of this junk and it would actually, in the process, get me in shape. And to some extent, it did. 
But then this past summer happened, and another new symptom raised its head in my life and that I had never experienced so far in my life, and it was this. I didn't want to be around people. And that's when I started getting scared because this one started freaking me out because I am a relationally driven dude who loves being around people. In fact, people refresh me. People energize me. And now I'm starting to turn into some introvert that doesn't want to be around people. Like I'm like, what in the world is going on? Am I just fight through it mentality? It wasn't working anymore. And back to the triathlon stuff. Two weeks after Ironman Ohio, I had my last triathlon of the season here in Louisville. It was an Olympic distance. And I was on track for setting a new PR record for me that was going to be 20 minutes some 20 minutes faster than my previous year's time, which for me was a pretty significant accomplishment at the time. I was feeling good. I had a strong swim. I was averaging 20 miles an hour on my bike, the first half portion of the bike. And then on River Road, I started hearing this high-pitched sound coming from my front tire. And I remember thinking, God, please tell me that is some venomous snake chasing me down River Road. But it was not. It was a flat tire, number one. I changed my flat tire, and before I know it, flat tire number two has happened, and I was out of spare tires. So now I'm on my walk of defeat back to the transition area, and I remember passing this um, police lady who was directing traffic. They didn't shut River Road down, but they'd stop for bikers to get past and I remember walking past this lady's intersection and I looked at her and I said hey you want to know what defeat looks like just kept walking she didn't think it was funny and I remember I'm walking back with this walk of defeat and honestly I started getting emotional not because it was like I clearly was not going to hit my new PR but because it hit me Ronnie you cannot outswim this. You cannot outbike this, and you cannot outrun this. And subconsciously, I, I was thinking I could. Subconsciously, I was given the sport of triathlon, which I do genuinely love and enjoy, but I was given it the wrong purpose. And as I was working through this message, the latest issue of USA Triathlon arrives in the mail. Uh, apparently, they only... Send these to elite athletes <laughs> who pay their subscription. <laughs> Page 30 starts talking about Sarah True and how she struggles with depression as an elite triathlete. And it says this. It says, you can't out-tough depression. And I literally, in my family room, started laughing out loud because that is exactly what I had been trying to do on my own. Now rewind to Labor Day weekend when here in this room, many of you were here, we hosted week one of Uncensored with Kyle Eidelman and Labor Day weekend we had 1,700 dudes show up in this room and out. I mean it was crazy. People were hanging from the rafters. And my role that morning was to be the MC, which easy enough meant I do the welcome and I do the closing. I come out there, I welcome dudes did my welcome thing, and then I walked off side stage to where I was standing for Mason brought me out here. 
and Kyle comes out and he started talking about things that men struggle to say. He said, you know, things like, I was wrong. Uh, I'm sorry. Will you forgive me? And then he said this next one, and I wanted to punch him in the face for saying it. He said, man, we struggle to say, I need help. And the second he said those words, I was on sidelines there, and I instantly knew that the Holy Spirit was prompting me to share what had just occurred that previous week in my life, to be transparent during my closing part. And see, just four days prior to that, I had gone down, I had gone to the doctor and was put on Prozac for the first time in my life. I was now on an antidepressant. And the enemy had been using scriptures, even using, that punk was using scriptures against me leading up to this point. Scriptures like Philippians 4, 6, same book we're studying here, where it says, do not be anxious about anything. And he would take that verse that, that Paul intended to be encouraging to us, and he would twist it, and he would add guilt to my regiment. Because with lies like, dude, if you trusted God, if you had true faith in God, you wouldn't need pros. In fact, you wouldn't be depressed. You wouldn't be anxious. <clears throat> the day after I went to the doctor, I was at Iron Bell, spending some time praying, and I started getting really emotional, like ugly cry emotional. And I proceeded to send the following text to some friends of mine, and it said this. It said, my pride and ego are saying, don't send this text but to not is to be a poser. I went to my doctor yesterday for this awful bout with anxiety and depression that started last October. I've been trying to fight through it, but it keeps looming large. Doctor put me on Prozac, which is a bit emasculating and feels like I'm trading in my man card. I realize emotions are not reliable, but they have been eating my lunch pretty good, attacking my confidence, my peace and joy. I'm scared, I feel alone, and I'm pretty tanked. I'm questioning things about myself that I know are not from God. I will continue to fight forward and refuse to quit, but my arms are heavy right now. I don't share this for pity, and I'm not fishing for compliments. Instead, I'm asking you to help lift my arms as a Christ follower, husband, father, and pastor like Exodus 17, 11 to 12 describes. Specific prayer is the best weapon as I am off, and I can't seem to get the switch to turn back on, which is highly frustrating, confusing, and deflating. I love you. I trust you. I'm grateful to have you both in my life and in my corner. Back to my uncensored moment. As Kyle concluded, and for the record, we hadn't scripted any of this. He had no idea at this point what I had been going through and the timeliness of my week. And I walk out onto this stage and I'm still struggling with my pride. Because there I stood with a, with a huge room full of dudes, most of whom don't know me. And then throw in Dave Stone, our senior pastor's here. Kyle's still here. Our executive pastor, Tim Hester's here. Most of our elders are here. A lot of our Southeast lead team are here. The pride part of me started just thinking too much about that. And then I started talking, and what, what came out were these words, I need help. And I went on to tell about my past week and how I'd been put on Prozac and how I'd texted some friends saying I need help. 
And then I remember saying, men, we are stronger together. And then I prayed. And here's the interesting thing. After I said amen, I don't recall any clapping. No booing either, which I'm grateful for. Um, seemingly no response to what I had just laid out there, which made me extremely vulnerable. And then I walked back side stage largely, just to be candid, to avoid making anyone feel awkward about needing to respond to what I had just said. A few moments later, uh, a guy comes back and says, hey, Ronnie, uh, there's a guy out front. He wants to talk to you. So I walk down these stairs, and I meet this dude who I've never met in my life who had just moved here a few months previous from several states away with his family. And he went on to, uh, to tell me how he had never told another man, a person, not just man, this, but he shared a lot of similarities with my story of depression, anxiety, and he had always felt shame and felt like the same thing, like all these crap the enemy tries to fill us with. And he, he said, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to seek help because of what you said today. And then I had two other men that I had the opportunity to speak truth with very similar circumstances and pray with that morning and then over the next multiple days random texts and emails started appearing commenting about how encouraging and freeing it was to hear personally and how each man could relate and quick time out hopefully this is obvious and a given but I don't want to assume it is I didn't say what I said to prove a point. Um, I was simply being transparent and vulnerable as a direct result to being obedient to the Holy Spirit's promptings. See, I was struggling with saying that from stage because I was thinking more about me and how it might negatively impact me. But the Holy Spirit knew that there were some men, perhaps today even, men in this room who needed to hear that as permission to seek help. Maybe it's depression, anxiety, maybe it's something else. So fast forward a few months later, and a man who I don't know very well, I come into contact with him, and he says, you probably don't realize the significance of what you shared back during that uncensored morning, but he said, I resonated with every word you said. And he said, after you said that, I literally went home and I, I, I called and scheduled an appointment or I left a voicemail to schedule an appointment with my doctor. For the first time in my life, this dude's in his early 50s. The first line in Scott Peck's book, The Road Less Traveled, says this. Life is difficult. Back to Paul's chains advance the gospel. I want to finish this passage. Verses 20 and 21 Paul says, I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will, will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. The New Living Translation says, I will continue to be bold for Christ, and I trust that my life will bring honor to Christ. And then he says, for, me, for to me to live as Christ and to die is gain. The message paraphrases that part like this. They didn't shut me up. They gave me a pulpit. 
Alive, I'm Christ's messenger. Dead, I'm his bounty. Life versus even more life, I can't lose. To have that perspective is to pursue living a life with a vertical vision, which is God's ultimate goal for each of us, all of us. You know, I wish I could stand here from this stage and tell you, men, that God's ultimate purpose for you is that your life will be easy, that your life will be comfortable, that your life will be free from suffering, and that if you have kids, He will protect your kids from all the evil, and that if you're married, He will protect you. And I wish I could tell you that, that man, when you say yes to Jesus, it shields you from all of that. But for me to say that would not only be a bold-faced lie, but it would also be a horrible misrepresentation of the gospel message. Instead, God's ultimate purpose for you is for your life to produce maximum glory. To bring maximum glory to Him. Because God's ultimate desire for each of us is to capture our heart and to make His Son Jesus known through our lives. That's it. That is His ultimate goal. And please don't miss this part. God does not cause pain to happen in your life. God does not make bad things happen. He doesn't have a mentality of like, dude, if you skip your quiet time, He's going to zap you. No, he doesn't have that. He Scripture says he can have nothing to do with evil. But he does allow it for reasons far greater than we'll ever fully be able to understand or comprehend. He allows things to happen to us in order to have our heart, to capture our whole heart. And typically nothing captures our whole heart better if we'll let it. And suffering. So when I suffer, to ask God, why? God, why? It's not evil to ask God why, but to focus all of our time and energy on that is to focus on the wrong thing. Instead, regardless of whatever your suffering looks like, your focus is intended to be on pursuing being faithful. No matter what. Way easier said than done, but that's our mission. An important clarification here. There is a huge difference between suffering with purpose and sinning on purpose. Big difference here, guys. Don't confuse Man, I am suffering with purpose when really I'm suffering the consequences of, of sinning. That's not what Paul's talking about here. How was Paul able to keep such a vertical vision as he went through non-stop suffering? Many times, the kind of suffering where he's like, I don't know if I'm going to have a pulse tomorrow or tonight. 
that kind of suffering. I believe it's because largely he kept a me, you perspective, one that leads to a healthy perspective, and that being relating to Christ. See, Paul viewed Jesus as having carte blanche on the word suffering. And he compared his suffering to Christ's ultimate suffering. See, Jesus suffered the first 30 years of his life because he was obedient. Hebrews 4.15 tells us that he suffered and was tempted in every way, same as us, except he did not sin. He did nothing wrong. Yet he was abandoned by his closest friends in his greatest time of need. He was beaten unfairly within an inch of his life. He was nailed to a cross until his last breath. And his last breath meant he couldn't raise himself up anymore to take a breath. Jesus suffered with purpose. He suffered so that you and I can experience the ultimate freedom of spending eternity in heaven with Him someday. That is a promise which can give us peace even though we will suffer here on earth. Friends, if you do not have a personal relationship with Christ, meaning if you have never placed your faith or your trust in Jesus Christ, then it is impossible for you to experience the peace of God until you make peace with God. And so I want to be clear. If that is you, if you, do not ha- if you have not ex- never accepted Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior, then you're just suffering. There's no purpose to it. You're just suffering. And for those of us who have accepted Christ as our Savior and Lord, hear this. Our goal is to pursue getting to a place where we can say, God, if God, if if you never choose to remove the chains from the suffering of my life, if you never choose to do that, I'm still going to pursue being faithful to you, to resist acting like a victim, to resist uh, using it as an excuse to be apathetic, numb, careless, or bitter. That's how we position ourselves so that God can give purpose to any suffering that we experience on this side of the grave. Friends, my depression and anxiety I'm a little nervous to say this out loud, but it seems like it's moved to the rear view mirror in my life today, and I'm grateful for that. But long term, I don't know if God's going to remove this long term or if this is going to be something that I'm just going to have to continue to deal with and work through. But I can tell you this, my goal, and I'm still working on it, is to be faithful no matter what, no matter if I feel like it, or not. You know, I think of Chris Tomlin's uh, new song from his new album, Holy Roar, I Stand in Awe, and the words go like this. He says, when I consider what you have done, 
I see your suffering. I see your scars. Oh, the wonder. Oh, the love. My Lord, my God. All glory, all honor, all worship, and all praise, all blessing, all power. How worthy is your name. All glory, all honor, all worship, and all my praise. I stand in awe. I stand in awe. I stand in awe of you. Chains and all. Suffering and all. And men, Jesus never intended for us to go alone. We're stronger together. That's not just a slogan. That's a truth. And one of the men I sent that text that I read to you guys a few moments ago, one of the men that I sent that to is my friend Les Lala, and he called me shortly after I sent that and quick end our conversation. He said, he's in the medical field, and he said, dude, if you have a chemical imbalance, you cannot just fight through that. And in his polite Mississippi way of saying things, he told me to get my head out of my butt and go see the doctor. He said that it was my pride keeping me from getting help. And I am grateful that he spoke that truth to me, especially in a time when I was having trouble seeing that truth clearly. He helped me grow by speaking truth, by holding me accountable. So this morning, fellas, this morning's message is not about depression and anxiety. <clears throat> Depression's about suffering, about hardship that we will experience. John 16, in this world you will experience troubles of many kind. So I don't know what it is for you, but you do. For some of you, maybe you can relate to specifically what I said. For others of you, you're like, dude, I, I have no idea what you're talking about. But you know something else that resonated in principle. And so at your tables this morning, I want you to unpack the following, at least as part of your time. One of them, questions is, what do you do when you can't outswim, you can't outbike, you can't outrun, you can't outwork, you can't outdrink, you can't outnumb your suffering. And then I want you to fill in the blank what your natural tendency is. I am tempted to try to out what? My suffering when hardship, when misery and distress come my way. What is it? Fellas, we as men, we join teams to win. And I can tell you this, your table leader at your table, he is committed to helping you win. Not because our table leaders have arrived and figured everything else, but they are choosing to intentionally care for you and to encourage you and to challenge you as you give permission. And I'm telling you, one of the most powerful ways you can start winning with whatever the suffering is that you're struggling with <clears throat> is to be transparent put it out there because that's what leads to freedom that's what leads to helping identify how you can win in the midst of it how you can be faithful in the midst of it and i could tell you give you a spoiler alert it is humbling and it makes you very vulnerable. But I promise you, this room is built on trust. And I promise you, there is nothing you can share that you will leave this room and be like, man, I regret saying that. So take a risk. Be vulnerable. 
start winning. God, I thank you for these men. Thank you for uh, the different stories that are represented here. And Father, I just pray that this morning, the next several moments, you would use the truth that was teed up to be unpacked at tables for some men, maybe many men in this room. It leads to sharing something or stuff that they've never shared with anyone. And Father, if any man in here is, if that's them, would you give them the courage? Would you remind them that you are for them and not against them? Would you give them the conviction to share, to not keep their, to not hold their cards close to their chest, but to trust that you're bigger than all this? And Father, I pray for wisdom and discernment for all of our table leaders to help navigate this. And speaking of our table leaders, I pray that they would have the humility to go first. We know this is not in vain. So we say thanks for that, Father, and in advance, thank you for what you're going to do as a result of the trust this morning that happens. Thank you for your son Jesus' ultimate example that he gave to us how to live on this side of the earth in the midst of suffering. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to this week's Bible teaching from Man Challenge at the Blankenbaker campus of Southeast Christian Church. For more information on how to get involved, reach out to us via the email address in our podcast description or find us on social media.